after he put this one in my mailbox, I got a text from him and it was, had the codes to his apartment and gate codes and said, please take care of my dog. So I knew as soon as I saw that, that this was his like suicide attempt. This was his final gesture of trying to get me back. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Diptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're chatting with Casey, who was stalked by her ex-fiance right after she ended their engagement. Casey was a single mother of two when she thought she found her perfect match online. After dating for a year, he suddenly proposed and she moved halfway across the country buying a new house so they could combine their families to start a new life together. When she discovered his web of lies and deceitful behavior, she decided to end their relationship. And that's when her true nightmare began. Casey, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Casey, what was your life like right before you met your ex-fiance? My life was good. Um, I had a good job. I I was doing something I really liked. I was um, running half marathons. I had friends. I had my kids. Everything was just good. Um, it was at that point in my life where I felt, um, I didn't need somebody, but I wanted to add somebody. And why were you, why did you try online dating? Um, because I had kids and I worked and being a single mom, my kids were younger at the time. So you're running them around. Um, a lot of my friends were married. I didn't want to go to a bar and meet someone. You, you have that, um, Sorry, you have that like kind of faith that the people that are online are like you, and then you find out that they're not. So um, I was kind of new to it, a little, um, a little hesitant. So what was it like meeting your ex-fiance for the first time? Um, the first time I met him, um, I was really nervous, and um, it was a really crazy day um, up until that date. I always joked and said, um, it's either going to be everybody in the universe was telling us this shouldn't happen, or this is going to be the greatest first date story ever. Um, but when I finally got to him, um, he was exactly who he said he was. The pictures matched. He was warm. He was friendly. He put me at ease. I didn't have any flags or signals and we had a great night. What was the first date? What did he do? What was different? Was that first date like? Um, we just, we met up at, um, Lucky Strike. So we just went somewhere where we could eat and, um, do something at the same place because it was California. It was a rainstorm, believe it or not. Um, so it was a horrible weather. And, um, so we met up there and he talked most of the night, which I thought was just nervous and stuff. And, um, he was really sweet. I mean, we flirted, we talked about getting together again, everything went fine. He walked me to the car at the end of the night and, and I checked it off. It was a pretty successful first date. I, I thought he was cute. I thought this is great. And, um, I'm curious to see what happens. What kind of things did he tell you about himself when you first started dating? 
Um, when we first started dating, um, he had a daughter who was around, um, my kid's age. So we talked a lot about the kids. He worked in finance. He was, um, from Indiana, had lived in Texas as well. Um, so he'd kind of been all over and transferred and stuff, um, out for jobs. He was in California and had been there for less than six months when I met him. Um, and had come out for work. Um, so we kind of bonded a little bit over being from Indiana because I had actually lived out in Indiana. Both my kids were born out here with my ex-husband for his work for a little while. So that kind of brought us closer together. Um, being from the Midwest and having lived in the Midwest, it's a different kind of place. Um, so that put me a little bit more at ease too. Um, I don't really know anything about the finance world. So everything he told me about that, I just, I believed. And shortly after, um, we met about 10 days after he left for, um, New York for a month. So that was an interesting way to start that relationship. What was it like while he was away? We talked on the phone every day. There was a lot of promises of like FaceTime and those kinds of things that didn't happen. Um, Every night after the kids would go to bed, we would talk for hours, text during the day. Um, it really seemed to me like it was just a normal conversation. He was doing his best to try to keep in touch with me, being so far away, um, being a new relationship, and those kinds of things. Um, talked about what he did during the day, talked about what I did during the day. Nothing during those conversations would have put me as off. They were they were detailed, like he took flights from from one place to another to meet his parents to help them out, um, went out with people for St. Patrick's Day, like people he met during the day, people he talked to, things that happened at work. Um, all of it very, very normal. So um, very surprising to find out later that those four weeks were all a lie. <laughs> well, what happened when he got back from his trip? Um, when he got back from his trip, um, he, well, he had been gone for a month. So um, he FaceTimed me one day. Um, we were going to get together that weekend, but he had FaceTime me and as much as I wanted to see him like right away, he had his daughter and stuff. So, you know, we FaceTimed and talked for a little bit. And then um, when we saw each other that weekend, um, you know, everything just kind of went on as normal. We were happy to see each other. I was, I was thankful he was there. Um, it was good to, you know, to see him, touch him, feel him, whatever. And um, we just started like our actual dating, like going out, doing things. We saw a lot of bands, a lot of music. Um, just we we would see each other every other weekend because that was the custody arrangement I had with my kid's father. Um, and it was normal. Went to the beach, spent a lot of time at the beach and um, just did a lot of getting to know each other, got the kids together. Um, just really felt like it was a good match that he was a good person. I met his daughter. Um, her mom wasn't really in her life very much. Um, so he had custody of her. So she was at the apartment um, all the time. And her and I, um, we hung out, we did things together. Um, 
she is this, she's about six months younger than my oldest son. So I have two, I have two boys. It was nice because I don't have any girls. So she is a good kid. Walk us through everything that led up to the engagement. Well, things kind of went really quickly because I mean, well, at the time I was 44, 45, but you know, we're older. We've, our kids are older. This, we had been through relationships that hadn't worked and stuff and it was good and we knew what we wanted and, um, and we were okay with things in, we met in February and then in July, um, he had lost his job. And so by October, his severance had run out and, um, he'd had a hard time finding a job. So we had started talking about, you know, some different options and stuff like that. And his um, parents and family were trying to get him to um, come back to Indiana, where he grew up. He knew a lot of people. It'd be easier for him to get a job. And um, so we started talking about it, and I had no problem with it. I I didn't mind it out here when I was here the first time, and um, talked to my kids, and my kids were fine. And so we started talking about it, and. Um, it all just kind of felt like the right place. I mean, he came all the way to California to meet a girl who was willing to go back to Indiana. And in California, I met a guy from me. It was just, it was a ironic sort of events that kind of all seemed to flow together as fateful. And um, so we started making plans. He started working on my house and getting my house ready to sell. Um, got the house Soul came out and bought a house out here, got the kids out of school. And in the end of May, I was gone, got the house ready for the kids, flew back home, picked up the kids. And by the middle of June, we were all out here. And the beginning of July, he came out. Wow. So what did your kids think of him when they first met him? <laughs> um, my kids are teenagers, so they don't really like anybody. But they didn't like him. They, um, they just had a weird feeling about him. They said, um, but they said, you know, whatever makes you happy, mom. Like we don't have to like him. You have to. Um, they weren't uncomfortable with him. Like he didn't creep them out. They just he didn't really put out the effort to have a relationship with them, and they didn't really care. <laughs> so, um, but interesting enough my, um, my dog, Minnie, the bulldog, she likes everyone and they never got along. So, you know, maybe you should listen to your kids and your dogs if you're in a relationship. Did that raise any red flags with you at the time? I probably should have thought about it a little bit more. You know, my kids, they're, you know, they're teenagers. They're, they don't necessarily like me half the time because I'm telling them what to do. So um, as much as I valued their opinion and I tucked it away in there, um, they're also kids and they don't get to choose who I date or who I don't date. So it was kind of a fine line and it was kind of hard to navigate that and know um what was kids being kids? What was signals I should have seen? And, and what was just life? What was the proposal like? 
he proposed um, in a hotel room and supposedly had this grand thing planned that fell apart at the last minute. We were getting ready to go out for um, St. Patrick's Day um, down in Redondo Beach. And um, he came in from the parking lot, having gone outside to make a phone call and came in and had this ring and proposed. And it was so bizarre and so weird. And um, he didn't, he wasn't working. I was like, where did he get the money for the ring? Like, we're moving. I bought this house. Like, I appreciate it. But is it really the right time for all of this stuff? So he didn't get that like, Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks for me. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have that. Um, which again, probably should have been another sign. <laughs> but um, I think it was just more the practical side of me was like, you don't need to be spending all this money on a ring. We just bought a house. We just have all this other stuff. Um, but it was exciting. Everybody was happy for us. Um, we made we just, you know, kept going on with our plans, kept doing our stuff and um it was exciting everybody was excited for us happy um it was exciting to be moving to a new house new big house out here in the the midwest so what did you learn about him soon after the engagement he let me sell my house he let us move take my kids away from everything that they knew and within the first week of him being out here um, the police had already been called to our house twice for arguments between us for things that were happening. And um, he moved out. He never unpacked, never really stayed here and had an apartment of his own. Um, within a month or so after him, uh, us being here, um, he told a really big lie that was very devastating and um, was really hard to wrap my head around. At the time when all of this was happening, I didn't see the role that isolation was playing in all of this. I was, um, you know, I was happy to start this new part of my life. Um, I didn't see it as isolation when he moved me from California to Indiana, away from all of my friends and family. I thought we were trading my friends and family for his friends and family, and it would even out. Um, then him moving out ended up isolating me even more because he, now I had no one. Um, but as he spent more time away from the house and out with his friends and different things. Um, things started coming to light about him that I wasn't aware of. About six months after we got here, um, he, oh gosh, it was just, it was lie after lie after lie. He was getting caught in lies with me. He was getting caught in lies with his friends and these weren't like small lies. These were very well thought out, intricate lies that when you had a conversation with him, you completely believe him. He's a very gregarious, outgoing personality that, that people like because surface on the surface, he's, he's fun. Um, but he, 
he told me um, this lie of him being in the hospital dying and he had all the information, like um, the medicine they were giving him and the time frame. And if this didn't happen, they were going to do this. And I remember looking up the medicines online, trying to figure out what was going on and he wouldn't tell me what hospital he was in. And um, at the end of that evening, I ended up texting one of his friends and said, Hey, you know, if, I know he's in the hospital. He doesn't want to see me, but can you just let me know that he's okay when you, if you're there with him? And she called me immediately and she was like, what are you talking about? And I told her and I sent her screenshots of the text and she's like, he's been here with us the whole night. Like he's drunk, but he's here. He's not in the hospital. So he exposed himself not only to me, but to his friends. So then his friends would start telling me things that they knew about him. And it was this hot mess of things. And, um, you know, you go back to what's comfortable and you go back to what you know and being out here on my own and away from friends and family. I've always said, if I'd have been in California, that would have been the end of the relationship because I had my friends, I had my family, I had the comfort of everything. Um, But he didn't have that out here. And in October of that year, my dad passed away. So when my dad passed away, I wasn't prepared for that. And that pushed me right back to him because I needed that security. I needed that love. I needed that comfort of a relationship, somebody that I knew. So we worked all that. We worked on a lot of stuff and there was a lot of promises that there was a lot of things that happened. Um, but the relationship was never the same. Um, there was more lies. There was more lies with his friends. Um, things just kept happening. And then, um, we had a, um, had a big blowout in June trying to, trying to keep things together to do something we'd always done. And it, it didn't work out. And after that, um, I had had a conversation with his mom because he'd showed up at what he would show up at my house at like midnight drunk, wanting to come over, wanting to see me. And, um, he showed up one particular night and, um, was really drunk telling me a story that was not true about what had happened that night. And um, it took me about an hour to get him into the house and just let him sleep it off and question him on the way home the next day, dropping him off and stories weren't matching up and we weren't getting along or talking at this time. So I ended up calling out to his mom hoping that they could help him because I was worried about his daughter. You know, she's got to live with this. I can be done with it. Um, and found out in that conversation with his mom that she, he wasn't talking to her. She didn't know anything that was going on. She hadn't heard about all this stuff that was happening with his daughter and himself. And at the end of this like two hour conversation, she tells me, um, you know, I just, I think it's really good that you, you guys just never got married that he never moved in um, because he hasn't been honest with you from the beginning and um, he hasn't been financially independent for the last five years. And I was like, 
I haven't even known him five years. Like, how is that possible? And all these things start going through my head. It's like, she tells me that they've been helping him. And I'm like, what about my like engagement ring? What about all these dates? What about like, like, seriously, I'm 44 years old and somebody's parents are like, it was nothing made sense. And I started asking her all these questions and she would answer some, but she wouldn't answer others. And so I was, it was like my whole world just fell apart because everything I had known about him was a lie. Casey, can we jump back to the time that you got um, therapy? Couple therapy came after um, the big lie that he told in the hospital. And then he was dying in the hospital. Um, I hadn't talked to him for a really long time. And that was his desperation of um, trying to keep us together. He would do anything. Um, so we went to, we made the appointment and I canceled it a few times. And then we went um, and we met this woman and she was really good. And she talked to him And I just sat there because the only reason I had showed up that day was because I didn't trust him and I didn't believe him that he would tell the therapist the truth about the relationship. And she asked me why I was there and I told her and she listened to him talk for a while and she turned to me and she told me, you know, you don't have to be in this relationship, right? You don't have to fix this. Things don't have to get fixed. And I said, no, 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 it's fine. I want to see what happens. And in those conversations with her, um, I told her that I don't think this relationship can end or get better without intervention. And it was like, in my head, I knew then, like, this is not going to work. But I, I didn't, I didn't know how to get out of it at that point. Um, that was our one and only conversation with a therapist um, because he did not like the way he felt that she took my side and she was against him because she saw through his story and um, she had given him directions to leave me alone that I was in charge that if I wanted to talk to him I could talk to him but he wasn't to contact me or anything until I was ready to talk to him Um, and he immediately broke that within hours of us leaving therapy. Um, and so I, I knew that he wasn't going to, um, follow the instructions and I didn't think that he would be good, um, with that. So I decided not to go forward with therapy. Um, I stopped talking to him for a really long time and that was in August. And then it was in October that my dad passed away and that was what pushed me back to him. How did he react when you stopped contact with him? Everything was done like after that. Um, He would show up at my house. He would knock on my windows because I wouldn't answer my door. I wouldn't answer the phone. I wouldn't respond to his text. So at my house, the win- my bedroom window was on the first floor, so he would walk around to the back of my house and knock on the windows. He would be texting me and, and calling me while he was out there. Um, he would eventually leave, um, but this would happen on like a regular basis, like a couple times a week, sometimes a few days in a row. What did you do next? 
we didn't talk for a really long time. But then in October, um, when my dad passed away, I, I tried to rekindle things with him because um, the, I, the, the being out by yourself and not having your normal support and your normal things, um, you go back to what you know. And he was what I knew out here. So, um, like I said, we tried, I tried, um, I thought, you know, he just, he made a mistake, like give him a chance. Like I'm, I'm not a mean person. I'm not a vindictive person. Um, people make mistakes and you realize that. And so I tried for a long time thinking that he did love me and that he did want this relationship with me. And, and it's a very stressful thing to sell a house, to move, to merge families, to do all of this stuff. And we all handle stress in different ways. And I, I gave him every benefit of every doubt that I could possibly do and made so many excuses for him with all of this stuff and tried for months and months and months. And it just didn't work. And I think it was really hard to face that it just was not going to work. I wanted it to be okay. I wanted it to be better. I wanted him not to be the person that he was being, but go back to being the person I thought he was when I first met him. We tried one last time and um, to do this one event and it was, it was a nightmare. I ended up leaving the event. Um, and that was when I realized that the way he saw our relationship and the way I saw our relationship were completely different. Um, he saw us this whole time where we hadn't been talking, we hadn't been dating, we hadn't been doing all these things. He still thought we were in a committed relationship to each other. And we very clearly were not, we never saw each other. Like um, it was a fundraiser for the zoo out here. It was something that we've done the past few years together. Um, and it was just, it was a big <laughs> nightmare. We, we got through the first part of the night. It was great. Um, and then he left me at one point to go out front and smoke a cigarette and I didn't want to go with him. And then he lost me, never came back. And when I found him, he was um, sitting there talking to his friends and um, was very um, upset with me that I wasn't where I said I was supposed to be. And it sounds kind of silly put that way. Um, but it was a it was a very different side of him that I saw that night. Um, just the anger with me, like trying to talk to him. Um, he said I embarrassed him in front of his friends. Um, I had pulled him off to the side trying to talk to him. Um, he wouldn't look me in the eye. He, I couldn't get him to make eye contact with me. Things I just knew it was bad. And so I, I called a ride. I went back to the hotel and checked out of the hotel and drove home and left him there. And, uh, and that was definitely the end. He continued to call and he continued to text, um, he still, he was mad at me, but he still thought we were like in a relationship. No matter how many times I would say like, this is over, it doesn't work. Um, I maintained contact with him for a while because of his daughter. I, again, I was, she was a good kid and she's had a hard time of things. And 
I didn't want to be another person who abandoned her in her life. Um, but I knew we had to do something to get him out and gone. Me and some friends started talking and we got our plan together and we knew that it was going to mean that I had to move and um, put the house up for sale. But I didn't talk to him about it. Um, he found out that the house was up for sale and just started hammering me about the house. And this wasn't his house. He had no money invested in this house. This was all mine. Um, started telling me the kind of house that I needed to buy so that we could live together in the future. Um, that if I sold the house, we could never be together. Um, you name it, he tried to say it. And it went over and over and over again to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. And I took the house off the market because I, I just couldn't listen to it. We went back and we revised things. We put the house back on the market um, about a month later. No for sale sign, no advertising, nothing. And got it sold, thought everything was good. We'd be able to get away. And I figured if I moved and he didn't know where I was, then I could block him and it would it would all disappear. That was very naive of me. Um, he had somehow registered my house as his on like Zillow or some kind of one of those websites. And the day that my house went pending in sale, he got a notification and that set him off. Then we started getting the texts and the phone calls about how did you sell the house? Like, good luck. I wish you the best. And like all of these very sarcastic things. Um, and then it was the, well, you must not love me anymore. How could you do this to me? And then he found out that I was dating again in the middle of all of this. And I was, then I started getting the text of that I was cheating on him and how could I do this to him? And it was just this constant barrage of things. Um, so we got the house sold. Um, and the it all kind of culminated in this very crazy week at the end of the year. Um, he had gone back to California in the middle of December um, for a trip. And somehow took a walk down memory lane thinking of all the times that we had spent together there and um, was texting me and calling me and sending me pictures and telling me um, we, we never should have left California. We never should have done that. We should be together. I love you. Um, sending me pictures of what they were doing on vacation um, told me that when we got when he got back to Indiana that he wanted to fix everything. He was going to make it right. He was really ready to do it this time. Um, when he got back to Indiana, it was right at Christmas. So he went with his family for Christmas and I started getting the texts and messages of like the family Christmas. Like it was like a normal thing, like a guy would send to like your girlfriend or whatever. Um, unsolicited, didn't understand it, didn't respond to it. The day after Christmas, um, in the afternoon, I got a text from him saying that he was very upset with me that I hadn't talked to him that day. He knew I knew he had a long drive coming home from Michigan. Why hadn't I reached out to him to talk to him about things? Um, 
And the guy I was seeing at the time was at my house with me. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. And he was telling me, don't respond. I'm like, if I don't respond, he's going to show up because that's what he does. So prior to this, I would ignore, 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 and then respond just to be able to keep him at a distance. Because if I didn't respond is when he'd pop up at my house. So he kept telling me he was going to come over. He's going to come over. I finally texted him on the 26th and said, don't come over. I don't want to see you. This is over. Just leave me alone. He's like, you've said that before. I'm coming. I said, don't come. Don't make me call the police tonight. And there was more texts, but he didn't come. So I thought, okay, maybe he listened. The 27th, um, he showed up about 1130 that night after texting and calling all day. Um, he was intoxicated and my boyfriend was there and he saw him come out and um, he had been texting all day that he was going to come. And I remember I was sitting in my closet, terrified with my phone and the panel for my alarm because I, I just, I didn't want to see him. This was somebody who had been in my head for so long and all of these lies and things like that. I just wanted him to leave me alone. And, um, we called the police and the police came out and, um, there was some discrepancy of between the dispatch and the police and what got to them. And they didn't know that my boyfriend was there. So when my boyfriend came to the door, they thought he was the perpetrator and so time was spent um, dealing with that, and um, my ex got away. They couldn't find him. So the officer called him from my phone. Um, surprisingly, he answered, and he, um, the officer spoke with him, and he tried to tell the officer that it was that I invited him there, that I was crazy, that I was doing all these things, and. I remember the officer telling him, well, if somebody invites you over at 1130 at night, it's probably not a good thing for you to show up. And um, the officer issued the trespass. And as soon as the officer issued the trespass, the whole conversation just changed. He went after that officer. He wanted names and badges and supervisor's names and um, just all kinds of things. And that conversation finally ended and the officer hung up and gave me back my phone. And I thought, okay, I did what I said I was going to do. If he showed up, I called the police. Now it's going to be over wrong again. I don't even think the officer was out of my driveway before my phone started blowing up again with all of the texts and things from him. And they changed from like, I hate you and I'm going to, I'm never going to talk to you again to, I'm so sorry. I know you're making a mistake. I love you. I want you back. Just like the whole gamut of things. Um, he told me like his friends were going to come drop off my stuff. I didn't know what he had. Um, the next day he showed up at my house. Um, after texting me and telling me that he would, um, he was going to be there, but he'd make sure he didn't step foot on my property because of the trespass. Um, drove on my, drove up to my house, almost out of camera range, got out of his car, dropped a bunch of stuff with a letter. On. What did the letter say? 
Um, the letters all said the same kind of thing, um, that he was going to give me a chance to write my mistakes and come back to him, that he loved me and that, um, we were meant to be together. The next day he dropped off another letter in my mailbox. This time it was like eight pages, all the same kinds of things. This one had all of the, he detailed out a bunch of lies that he had told and apologized for those specifically. Um, but again, it was, it was the, how could you have done this to me? How can you cheat on me? I can forgive you. I'll take you back. Um, the next day, um, another letter, this one came with my engagement ring and the key to his apartment. And after he put this one in my mailbox, I got a text from him and it was, had the codes to his apartment and gate codes and said, please take care of my dog. So I knew as soon as I saw that, that this was his like suicide attempt. This was his final gesture of trying to get me back. At the time it was tears and it was panic because I don't want him in my life like that, but I don't want him dead either. I mean, just leave me alone. So um, we called the police, tried to get them to go out and find him. I got a video text, a video message from him a little before 1130 that night, which I didn't get because I had muted his conversation because so many things came through. But I did get a notice that I had a visitor at my door and he was walking up to the front porch. He pulled a bottle of pills out of his pocket, which was what he had said he was going to do in the letter. He held them up to the camera to make sure that I could see what it was and proceeded to take what was ever in the bottle of pills and swallowed it with whatever was in his hydro flask. Um, he looked around and um, he was texting me. Um, I was in another city about 45 minutes away. We called um, immediately when we saw him there and we knew what he was going to do. We called for police, fire, medical to go out there. Um, there was 14 minutes between when he went out of camera frame, supposedly to go around to the back of my house and sit down and die, according to him. Um, and when the police showed up, but they couldn't find him again. So um, the officers looked for him that night. Um, they tried to make contact with him that night and were unable to. Um, I didn't hear from him again until the following day, New Year's Eve. Late that night or early in that evening, he... Um, call or he called and texted and said um that he just got out of the hospital that he didn't feel well um but that he would be over soon because he knew how important new year's eve was to me and we were going to do it right this time and it was just unbelievable like it just wouldn't stop so again called the police trying to prevent him from coming there and the officer that had been there the night before dealing with the other incident, um, called me back and helped me, guided me in what I needed to say to the other police department to get them to do a welfare check on him, um, gave me the name of the advocacy group out here 
and said, you need to call them because everything that he's doing, it's awful, but it's not illegal and you need a protective order. But I went down there and when they opened and I think we had the protective order in um, and submitted by like noon, I think that day. And by two o'clock, the judge had already signed it and approved it. What happened after you got that first restraining order? Um, the We got the protective order um, out here in Indiana. Their protective orders are not restraining orders. So it protects myself and my property, my kids, um, but it doesn't restrain him from coming within a certain distance of me. So um, it makes it a little tricky being out in public and things. He contested the protective order and um, wanted his say in court. And um, then he didn't show up to court when we had our hearing. And at the end of our hearing for the protective order where the judge rewrote the protective order and gave it to me again, um, we found out that he had filed a protective order against me. The judge didn't get it. If he's filing a protective order against you and you have one against him, why doesn't he just leave you alone? That protective order got dismissed. It never came to fruition. We never had a court date. We showed up to court for it. And um, the girl at the front desk just said it's been dismissed. There was no explanation. So we don't know if he dropped it. Um, because by then, his um, the charges had started coming down of all of the stuff that had happened at the end of the year, the charges were starting to come down for him. Um, so he is currently looking at two misdemeanors and a felony charge for all of the stuff that he did. Um, and the felony charge that he has is the stalking charge. The police department out here has been nothing but good. I know sometimes people have a hard time with that, but the police have always come out. I think half the police department knew who I was. Where is he now? As far as I know, he's still in the same place. We have no mutual friends. I have no way to contact any of his friends. He um, made sure that he let me know that they were his friends, not mine. And um, I have no idea where he is. What were some of the things that you later found out were live? Um, the, the biggest ones were... Um, those four weeks that he was gone when I first met him, um, where he was supposed to be in New York on business, um, he wasn't. He was at home at his apartment on house arrest because I realized then that he took those four weeks and me being genuine, me thinking this was a guy I liked, I wanted to get to know, taking the time to know him and, and talk to him during that time. Um he learned everything he needed to know about me during those four weeks um, to be able to play me and, and do this. And, and that's how a sociopath, that's how a narcissist works. Like um, it's so far beyond me. It never had anything to do with me. It was about the control that he had. And those four weeks gave him all the control that he needed to play this game for as long as he did. Um, I also found out that um, the week that I sold my house, which was a super stressful week, um, he had gone on a trip that he said he was in the Everglades in Florida 
some soul searching type of trip. Um, he was actually back here in Indiana in jail, but he's good. I mean, he's pathological. Like you, the details of lies and things. I mean, for four weeks, he had conversations with me telling me about what restaurants he ate at, um, going out with his friends in New York for St. Patrick's day. Like I wouldn't even know where to begin to be able to do that for a week, much less a month, and then remember it for so long. And he controlled every single part of that relationship. Um, the places we went, the things that we did, um, the people we hung out with. Um, and it, it didn't seem like anything at the time because we would, we would go to a bar, we would see a band, it would be music that I liked. It'd be a restaurant that I liked. Like it, it didn't feel like at the time that it was control, but it, it was, it was always him. It was always what he wanted. It was always in his time. Um, every decision was, was his. And um, when they take all that stuff away from you and they take your friends away, when they take your surroundings away, um, they have this way of manipulating you into that, that they're, they know what's best for you and that, that they're going to take care of you. Every single thing he did to me, he did it by telling and told me that he loved me. And so, you know, how could this person who loves you so much that wants to marry you, that, that wants to do all this stuff with you, how are they treating you so badly? You just don't, you don't want to believe that somebody who loves you would do something like this. What advice would you give other people in your situation? If you're in a situation where you're moving and you're going to be by yourself and stuff like that, um, really make sure that those that that's the right decision for you um, to make. I mean, a lot of people move and a lot of people do things and it doesn't turn out like this. Um, but keep that support and keep that... Um, those people around you. Don't be afraid to tell people what's going on. I was so um, embarrassed that I had moved halfway across the country with this person and now my life was falling apart. People from back home would call me and ask me how things were going and how was the wedding planning and stuff. I'm like, oh, we haven't picked a date yet. Like, I just wouldn't say anything because I was so embarrassed. And then when all of the really bad things started happening, like I didn't want to bring my life to work. I didn't want to do these things. I didn't want people to know what was going on. I didn't want to be the person with the crazy ex-boyfriend or whatever. But as soon as I opened my mouth and started telling people what was going on, I suddenly, I suddenly had everybody around me. People were checking on me constantly. People were making sure that I was okay. They were making sure that I was safe. They were doing things that I felt like I didn't want to be a problem because I didn't want to bring all this stuff to them. And they were already there, like with open arms, like wanting to help. Everybody just did. Like people don't know until you tell them and you have to tell people what's going on. Um, you can't do it alone. Look into your advocacy groups around. Like, everybody has them. Um, they're different in every state. They know the rules and they know um, what you can do. Um, they're the best contact for you um, when you're out here and you're trying to do something like that or get away from somebody like that. 
What's the best thing that your support system can do to help you through this? Um, the best thing that they can do is um, just listen. Until if you know somebody or you think that somebody is going through something like what I went through, um, until they're ready, it's going to be really hard to get them out of that situation because they may be in those moments where they they want to help fix. They don't want to hurt. They don't want to leave. They don't, they're not ready to admit it or whatever. Just keep listening and just keep taking notes and, and just keep being there for them. Um, don't let them out of your sight kind of a thing, but um, they'll, when they're ready, just be there for them and don't ask questions and just, just listen. And how has your life changed from this experience? Um. I was a very independent person. I go very few places by myself anymore. I have, um, I have a, um, carry, a carry permit for a firearm. Now, um, I have a taser in my car. I have alarm systems. I have, um, checking over my shoulder constantly. Um, I have gone to great lengths to hide my identity, where I live, um, where I work, my kids. Um, it's just, I never knew I would have to go to these lengths to be able to protect myself, to feel safe. And you still don't feel safe. I, I feel like it's just a matter of time. Um, it's a matter of time before he finds me again. You know, I, I fear being at court. He's going to follow me home. He's going to see my kids somewhere someday. Um, everybody knows everybody's looking out for us, but, um, it's just, it's scary not to be able to feel safe in your own home, um, in your daily life. It's still part of my life. It'll always be a part of my life. I will always have that voice inside my head checking over my shoulder. I feel like if I ever let it down, that's going to be the time he's going to swoop in on me or something. What do you want to see happen to him? That's a tough question. Um, I just want to see him get like some kind of help. It's hard because... Um, him being a narcissist, a sociopath, like having that, um, I don't know that anybody will ever get through to him and ever stop him from being able to do this to somebody else. It's easy to say, like, I'd love to lock him up and put him away because then when he's behind bars, I would feel safe at least for a short amount of time. Um, but eventually he's going to come out and eventually he's going to be in the world again. Casey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If anyone out there is in need of help or is a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. I'm Jake Tiptula. I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking.